Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Here's Francisco Alvarez. And he hits one in the air into the wind. Deep left center. Back toward the wall. And it's out of here. Francisco Alvarez threw the teeth of the wind into the bleachers in left center. His sixth home run, a two-run shot to put the Mets up to nothing. That is strong. Aren't home run calls the best, the absolute best? They make baseball so, so not boring. And that's why we kick off every podcast with the best home run call of the day or our home run call of the day. In this case, it's Gary Cohen. Congratulations, Gary. You have the home run call of the day. It is on Francisco Alvarez's, yes, home run. So another great call, and we're going to keep them coming. Thank you, everybody, for subscribing, rating, reviewing, listening. At BB isn't boring. Please, please, please spread the word. We want to get this message out there. We want to get this podcast out there, cranking it out every single day during the week, five days a week, and then some more. So we appreciate everybody jumping on in. Speaking of jumping on in, let's jump on in into the great game of baseball. What happened on Wednesday night? Well, Twins reliever EON Duran, three pitches of 104 miles per hour or better. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy to think about how velocity has emerged. And we talked 
a little bit about this just the other day with Daniel Bard, and this is a guy Bard who it was it was a freak show when it was throwing ninety nine. It was it was an aberration. It was it was an outlier. Now everyone throws ninety nine, but not everyone. Ninety nine, what ninety nine was is now one hundred four. That's the reality. The one hundred four. 103, 104. We're seeing it here and there, just like we saw 99 here and there 10 years ago. It's a completely different landscape. And Duran doing it what he did, that's just taken to another level. Okay. Also, Mike Trout. Congratulations to the Trout family. They pa- He passed Joe DiMaggio on the all-time home run list, number 362, and I suspect that he'll hit a couple more. Also, from the great Sarah Langs at ESPN Stats and Info, Bryce Miller, a guy I got a chance to talk to just the other day, fourth-round pick out of Texas A&M for the 2021 draft, which I, I'll say it again. I think we've said it on the podcast before. There are five players to make the major leagues from that draft. None of them from the first and second round so far. Bryce Miller is from the fourth round, and he is tearing it up. He is, according to Sarah, Bryce Miller is the first pitcher since at least 1901 to go six or more innings and allow four or fewer hits in each of his first five career appearances. Bryce obviously was a reliever at Texas A&M. Good for the Mariners for identifying him. Fastball, fastball, fastball. Now he's trying to learn some of these other pitches. But in the meantime, good luck hitting his fastball. All right. Now for the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Jack Curry. Jack Curry is the author of the 1998 Yankees, the inside story of the greatest team ever. It is such a good book. Such a good book. If you want behind the scenes of a memorable time in baseball, a memorable year in baseball, a memorable team in baseball, this is the book for you. Jack, obviously a great writer and also a, a, just a great uh, analyst for the great game of baseball for so many years. And he wrote a great book. And to give you perspective, in case you were either not born or don't remember the 1998 Yankees, let me give you a little bit of a, an idea of how good they were. They obviously won a ton of games, but to to give perspective of where they were at this time, they got off to a, a tiny bit of a slow start under first-year GM Brian Cashman, which is still insane to me. The fact that this was this team was under the first-year Brian Cash uh, first-year GM Brian Cashman. After a little bit of a slow start, they go on a run. After 50 games, which is about where we're at now in the baseball season, they were 37 and 13. To give per comparison about the best team right now in Major League Baseball, the Rays, they aren't far off. They're 36 and 15. But the Yankees, they kept it going. I mean, they only got better. 11 and 2 in the postseason, outscoring opponents 62. To 34. Do we think the Rays are going to do that? Do you think there is a team in this lot of teams that could actually get in this conversation about one of the elite teams of all time, which is absolutely where this 1998 Yankees team resides? Well, I don't want to spoil any more. I want Jack to explain what's what when it comes to this book, when it comes to this team. There's no better person to do that than the author of the 1998 Yankees, the inside story of the greatest team ever. We appreciate Jack jumping aboard. So here you go, Jack Curry. All right, there's nobody I'd rather have on than Jack Curry right now. There's nobody because he 
he understands the great game of baseball like nobody else. He's also a very good baseball player. Like, Jack, <laughs> you're a very good baseball player. I apologize to you for all the times in the media game between the Red Sox and the Yankees media where I walked you. I did not mean to walk you. There's nothing more frustrating than getting in a bat at Yankee Stadium and walking. So I apologize off the bat. It's funny you bring that up, Rob, and I appreciate the kind words. I love those media games, and as I was gearing up to get on this Zoom, I was thinking about you as a pitcher. First of all, props to you because I, I've played in a lot of those games. I've never had to pitch. But here's what I found out in those games. As, as frustrating as it is to walk, and you're right, there were a couple of games where I expanded the zone, as we would like to say. I hit a pop-up to first base or, or a pop-up to third base, and I said, I'm, I'm going to live with the walk, maybe, maybe steal a base, maybe get another at-bat. <laughs> that's that's my strategy. Every fourth game, I make you actually expand the zone and swing. Uh, but listen, it's it's other than uh, other than the accomplishment of walking at Yankee Stadium, you've had a lot of great things happen in your career. I think that this one that you have right now is hey, listen. Anytime we write a book, you write a book. It's something, and and you, you know, Jack, you've already done this, and you're doing it again. And this is this is blood, sweat, and tears. And then when it comes out. When that box shows up at your store, your your door, oh man! I, I try to explain that to people. Is that the that's the best moment, isn't it? I, I do think it is, and you're absolutely right. And that's why I was so much looking forward to doing this because you and I have a kinship and writing books. I have a lot of journalist friends who can't speak to the experience that that you and I have had, and I do remember. Uh, when the bo- the box of 1998 Yankee books showed up at my doorstep. And without a doubt, there was a thrill. I had my wife videotape it because I, I wanted to have it for posterity. I also wanted to use it for promotional purposes because you got to push your own book. But Rob, this one was interesting for me because I did all the writing and research during the 2022 season, but I didn't start writing a word until the Yankees got knocked out of the playoffs, which was October 21st, I think. And the book was due by December 31st. So I wrote 75,000 words in about eight weeks. And here's the thing. It it flowed. I wasn't rushing it. I wasn't forcing myself. Since I had done the reporting and the research, I felt like I was in a groove. I just had no social life. I did go to one Halloween party that my wife insisted I had to go to, and I didn't want to go to. And, of course, Thanksgiving and Christmas. But other than that, it was uh, it was book book uh overdrive and you know what that experience is like oh yeah yeah that's the the best part about that you said is that it flowed because when you sit down you don't want it to be choppy you don't want it to sort of like be clunky and and i have to put this here this isn't fitting here because there is a time element and the book the 1998 yankee is the inside story of the greatest team ever uh you can get right now of course on amazon everywhere bookstores bestseller lists you name it and and jack the obvious there's a lot i want to get to in regards to the actual book but i am fascinated about the process so the obvious question is when did this come into your mind i mean you probably asked this a lot oh yeah but, but this is it's the leap of faith where you're like and you said it yourself, a lot of sports writers say, I want to do a book. I want to do a book. I want to do a book. But then to take that leap and to do the book and to have the idea that you, you, you're you passionate about that idea, when did that all come about? 
It's sort of a two-part answer, Rob. So I've done books with David Cohn and Paul O'Neill, who were both on that 98 team. And in the course of interviewing them, when they spoke about that 98 team, Rob, they almost paused and showed extra reverence. So that was already in the back of my mind, that as I was finishing up those projects, maybe the 98 team is a story at some point or is a book at some point. I have a great editor at Grand Central Publishing, Sean Desmond. He beat me to the punch. Soon after the O'Neill book was out, he said, hey, 2023 is the 25-year anniversary of the 98 Yankees. Do you want to tackle that? Do you want to take that on? And Rob, it was a no-brainer. I was around that team a lot. I was a national baseball writer at the New York Times at the time. I love the idea of hunting those guys down, many whom I, I still keep in touch with and I know or I see at Yankee Stadium. So it was. It started with Conan O'Neill in that process, but I got to give Sean a lot of credit. And then once I got started, Rob, it was it was so enjoyable because it would probably be like you or I talking about one of our books twenty five years from now. Because those guys talking about that team, they were proud. And Jeter, who is we know amazingly guarded, I felt like in this book Jeter basically took the muzzle off and was ready to brag. And he is not a boastful guy. <laughs> but he said, we wanted to pummel teams. And I wonder if you've ever heard anyone say this before, Rob. And I know players think this. Jeter said, we wanted to beat you every inning. It wasn't just beating you in the game. He said, we wanted to pound you into submission every inning. And they they did do that. Well, that's one of the things I actually wanted to ask you come, that comes across is that there's not a lot of teams. Some teams go in to say, we want to do that. For instance, you know, as we sit here right now, I'm sure the Padres came into this year saying, we're going to pummel every team, and it's a sad trombone. But has there been a team in your – and when you talk about the greatest team ever, they they have a case because of where they ended up. But have you ever been around a team or talked to a team that was so much so exactly like what you said? That's a fantastic question, Rob, and I want to answer it in this way. So I call them the best team ever. And this is not just me shouting it from a mountaintop. I interviewed other people, a lot of Yankee people. So, of course, we know where their <laughs> answers are going to lie. But I also interviewed John Thorne, who is Major League Baseball's official historian, who can talk to you about baseball in 1876, the way you and I would talk about a game we watched last night. And John Thorne put the Yankees at the top of the list. I think there are a lot of teams that can claim that throne. 27 Yankees, 39 Yankees, the big red machine. I made sure to mention about a dozen teams in this book. I mentioned the 2018 Red Sox, because when you talk about since the 98 Yankees and you look at win totals and completing the deal, that's the other thing for me, Rob. You can't be considered the best of all time unless you win a World Series. And that's where John Thorne and I differed a little bit. He puts the 1906 Cubs in the mix because they were 106 and 36. They lost the World Series to the White Sox. You're out. You're out. You, you can't be part of it. But if I had to answer yes or no to your question, has there been a team that reminded me of the dominance of the 98 Yankees? I'm leaning more towards no. I'm leaning more towards that, that they are still the standard bearer. Yeah, well, you mentioned the, the Seattle Mariners are a perfect example of that, right? Yep. A few years later. And, um, and the great thing about it, and this is what makes the book so awesome, or one of the reasons it makes the book so awesome is that not only were they good, but you have to have the personalities, right? Yeah. You, I mean, this is, it's, it's the, this is what's great about baseball that 
sometimes the confluence of personalities just makes everything work just perfectly. So when it comes to this, you have a lot of great stories in this book. You know, uh, I'll, I'll bring up one. Right? David Wells, before the night before the perfect game, right? Talk it, a little bit about that. It's unbelievable, Rob. And I know a lot of this story has already been told, but I appreciate that Boomer maybe gave me a couple of other crumbs. But he and Tori had had a, a fight a couple of starts earlier. Tori essentially called him out for being out of shape. Thought he maybe needed to lose a few pounds. The night before Wells is scheduled to start against the Twins at Yankee Stadium, it's a Saturday night going into a Sunday day game, he goes out. He tells himself, I shouldn't go out, I shouldn't go out, I shouldn't go out, but he goes out. He happens to run into some of the cast members from Saturday Night Live. Now, their show had ended its run a week earlier, so a lot of people have said, well, this story can't be true. Well, those same folks were out again the next Saturday, even if they didn't have a show. (laughs) And Jimmy Fallon has validated that. So Wells starts drinking with Jimmy Fallon. Rob, he doesn't get back to his apartment till 5.30, sleeps for a couple hours, gets to Yankee Stadium. His best friend on the team, David Cohn, says, you smell awful. I can smell the alcohol coming out of you. If anybody sees you, they're never going to let you pitch. So Wells goes and hides in the back uh, masseuse, masseur room that they had. Has a terrible bullpen. Mel Stottlemyre says, you're looking great. And Wells says, don't patronize me. I don't have anything. And then, Rob, he says that first fastball came out of his hand, and he said, oh, that that felt okay. (laughs) He has a one, two, three. Oh, that feels all right. Then before you know it, by the third or fourth inning, he probably had sweat, sweat some of the alcohol out. The adrenaline was kicking in. And he basically did end up pitching a perfect game in a game where he started hungover. It's awesome. And and you touched on this when you were just talking about it, about David Cohn and the relationship he had with Wells and how important Cohn was to that team. Because this is another thing. I mean, this is this is such a great in, in the this podcast, one of the great parts that I've been able to do is talking to players from all of these different teams of seeing the different dynamics of how a clubhouse works. Like how and with David Cohn and his relationship with David Wells, they were they were on a, a totally separate hotel, right? They allowed him to stay at a separate hotel, correct? Cohn was an unsung hero on that team, Rob, because of what you're referencing. He saw how divided Tory and Wells were. He knew that it was probably an unsavable relationship. So he goes to Tory and says, Joe, I got him. I will take care of him. You don't have to worry about him. And his savvy move is that, right, Wells and Cohn – when the Yankee plane landed in Boston, Toronto, Chicago, Detroit, you name the city, they would not go to the team hotel. Cone would set them up at a, another five-star hotel. And this solved a couple of things. First of all, it allowed the very rebellious Wells to feel as if he was being a rebel. Second of all, it kept him away from the team hotel where, is he going to run into Tory in the coffee shop? Are there going to be fans looking for his autograph? It just allowed Wells to breathe a little bit. And, Rob, from the moment that Wells pitched the perfect game until the end of the season, Cone and Wells were two of the best pitchers in the American League. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was 15-3 and three with a two-something ERA. Roger won the Cy Young. Pedro finished second. Wells was third. Cone was fourth. That's how good they were that year. Wow. Listen, I mean, it's there's a lot when it comes to – as Jack, I don't know if you agree. So Aaron Judge, for instance, he's the captain, right? Jeter was the captain, but 
I've always bristled at the captain thing. And like with the Red Sox, Veritech had the C. And the reason is, is because in a baseball clubhouse, there has to be leadership from all corners. And you just gave the perfect example of that. If you can give me some other really important, maybe under the radar guys on that team that were glue guys, you know, I can, I can, you know, teams that I've covered, I can give you examples. A lot of times, maybe they're utility guys, maybe they're bilingual guys, maybe they're relief pitchers. Give me some guys on that team who were sort of glue guys. Yeah, I think I'm going to go back to something that Tino Martinez told me. He said that on that team, and Rob, you and I have spent a lot of days in a lot of clubhouses looking, uh, waiting for players to come out <laughs> and seeing the guy who's lounging on the couch or whatever. Tino actually told me this, and I, I, I asked him it a second time. I said, are you serious? He does not remember one guy lounging on a couch before a game, reading a newspaper or a magazine. Today, it would obviously be their phone. He said everybody was working. So I think you had... You had Tino's intensity and his energy. You had O'Neill's intensity, uh, people watching him. I think Jeter was more of the quiet leader. Jorge Posada supplanted Girardi as the starter that year, and he had a fiery way about him. So I look at all three of them, but then I also throw in a guy like Bernie Williams, who was universally respected, who was in his walk year as a free agent, could have had all these distractions swirling around, never let any of that impact him and really was beyond respected in the clubhouse. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the guy who brought all those guys together in in, in Brian Cashman. Um, so that was his rookie year. Yeah. That's kind of crazy to believe. <laughs> and, and, and so you you have some great stories about Cashman and also the relationship with his boss. <laughs> and so the first thing I wanted to ask is, when you go, they didn't get off to a great, uh, like, unbelievable start, that 1998 Yankees team. But what was your perspective of Brian Cashman sort of easing into that season? Because looking back at it, Jack, as some of the guys you document in the book, the, he had a really good offseason, man. Yeah. He had a yeah, good offseason. I mean, he was part of the trade to bring Knobloch in from the Twins. And whatever you want to say about Knobloch's career with the Yankees, he, his career was on a Hall of Fame trajectory when they got him, and he contributed very heavily to the 98 win. He brought in Brocious, which I think even the Yankees were shocked by who Brocious became. They uh, they added Chili Davis as a uh, free agent. They also added Darren Holmes, who's now one of the pitching coaches with the Orioles, who was an underrated guy for them. He actually pitched well. But, Rob, what I appreciate with this book and with Cashman is – 25 years later, he took me behind the scenes with some of the stuff from Steinbrenner. And we always think in New York that we're the biggest and the baddest media and we know everything and we know every detail. And Brian told me some stuff that happened with Steinbrenner that I, I did not know that uh, when when Bob Watson resigned, Steinbrenner called Cashman to a meeting in his hotel in Manhattan and basically said, you're the guy. I don't want to recycle somebody else. I've been told you're the guy. And then Brian probably impresses George by saying, well, let's just do a one-year deal. Well, part of that was Brian wanted a way out. This didn't work out. He didn't want to be tied to a five-year deal. But then that slow start that you mentioned, this is another story Brian shared I had never heard. They get off to a slow start on the West Coast. And imagine this, it's your first trip with the team as the GM. You're so excited. You've told your wife, you've told your parents, you've told your friends. 
George pulls him off the trip because George needed somebody to blame for that slow start. They were 0-3. And what I think was pretty cool is when they finally do win a game, Joe Torrey took the lineup card and had everybody sign it and FedExed it to Cashman, and he, he signed the first of many. And, Rob, they go on and win 125 games. So, yeah, the first, the first of many was appropriate. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Uh, this, I mean, it is amazing, right? We look at how GMs being thrown into the – there's nothing like there, – we will see nothing like this ever again. Not only in terms of the, the great stories that you just told and, and being introduced as a GM, but to have to do this under the umbrella of George Steinbrenner and, and by the way, and then, and then hitting on like he did – Holy mackerel! <laughs> just unbelievable. Oh, and we—I I forgot El Duque because El Duque happened in spring training too. I, I forgot to add him into the mix, and it, it's a long story. But Brian credits their ability to sign El Duque to a relationship that he developed with Joe Kubas, El Duque's agent, a few years earlier, where Kubas was new in the business and wasn't getting a lot of respect. And at that moment, he happened to be representing Mariano Rivera. And Cashman showed him a ton of respect, spent an hour with him talking about Mariano, who at that point was a minor league pitcher. And Brian didn't say that. That's not the only reason they got El Duque, but he thinks that Kubas had a comfort level with him and with the Yankees because of that previous relationship. Against so so many different players from so many different places all coming together for this unbelievable story. And of course... This unbelievable book, the 1998 Yankees, the inside story of the greatest baseball team ever. Just a couple more things, Jack. Number one is that this is sort of um, it's there's not it's not an easy answer, but I like asking it anyway. How would they do in this day and age of baseball? So I asked this of um, Alex Cora back a couple of years ago when the shifts were really like at the height of the shift and the analytics and everything else. And I, his answer was, I don't think the 2004 Red Sox win, you know, what win because of it's a different time, a different dynamic. Now, I'm not saying that 1998 Yankees, the greatest team ever, wouldn't win, but how would that look in this day and age of baseball? That's really – what you just told me about Cora, that's really surprising because one other – I've done a lot of interviews for this book, and one person did ask me that book. And, Rob, my, my immediate answer was – I think that this team is as good as they would be as good as they were. And I'll start out with a couple of reasons why. I know the game has changed, 
But I'm I'm taking that 98 team and I'm transporting them here in a bubble. And they're still going to be themselves. They're still going to play the way that they played. Their starting rotation won 79 games. We don't see that anymore. I was having a conversation with Garrett Cole, and I actually handed him a copy of my book because, of course, I – I want him to have it. And he said, oh, look at my look at my 2018 and 2019 Astros teams. Our starters won a lot. I looked it up. They, they won in the 60s. They, they didn't win. So I think right away their, their pitchers would give them an edge. I wonder about the power department because obviously power is such a part of the, the game now. Tino hit 28 homers. That was a very modest total. But, Rob, I look up and down that that roster and how well-constructed I think that roster was and how spread out the contributions were. Because Jeter said to me, we could have two, three, four guys who weren't hitting, but the other three, four guys would. So I still think they would be as uh, as dominant as they were. I still think they would be a World Series caliber team. And how about the social media aspect? Because that's another part of it, right? Uh, and and I, I always... When I get this question, I always try and figure out the personalities involved. Like someone asked me about Jeter in social media, and I just said, Jeter would have been fine because Jeter would have figured it out. And Jeter would have, as a player, he wouldn't have had an Instagram. He, he wouldn't have had Twitter. He wouldn't have been getting into Twitter fights. He wouldn't have been in places where people could have been filming him doing things. But social media, does it does change a lot of things. You mentioned before chemistry and camaraderie. This was a, a really close team and a, and a really tightly knit team. Would that have added a, a, a different element to it? Maybe. Maybe it would have. I'm, I'm trying to think as I go around the diamond, which guys might well, have we, been. We, we would have had a, uh, We would have had that immediate, oh, my goodness, David Wells, as every pitch is being thrown, here's a video of him out at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? I was about to say, that's that's a wild card or, or one of the wild cards. You're right. Someone would have been in whatever bar that was and would have seen it. <laughs> and it's funny you bring that up. Pre-social media, I do have a story in the book that when they got knocked out of the playoffs in 97 against Cleveland, Cone, again, being being a leader, being a great teammate, called a buddy of his who owned a bar in the village said, could you stay open? We basically want to drown our sorrows one final time. Well, guess what? People had their little Instamatic camera or whatever. Yeah. The story's gotten the New York Post. Pictures, the pictures, forget the story. It said hanky-panky, and George was ticked off. So that was in 97. Yeah. So right 2023, it, it, it is a different world, and you, ha- you would have to be more careful. But, Rob, these guys were so focused and so committed to what was going on in the field – I can't speak for every last action that they might have taken in the era of social media, but I think they would have figured it out. Well, it's an unbelievable book. The 1998 Yankees, the inside story of the greatest baseball team ever. And Jack, the last thing I I usually ask everybody who comes on the podcast, this, and and I was thinking about this, this is, this could actually be a book. And I, and like, we're always looking for our next book, right? (laughs) You get, you get the, you get, you get the, you get the, the vibe and you get the uh, the adrenaline rush from it, although it's an exhausting process. But since we started this podcast, I try to ask everybody this question, and the answer has been all over the place. Like I don't think I've gotten the same answer at the same time, and now it's been, I don't know, 50 people, including Rob Manfred, including GMs, including players, including managers. And the question is this, why isn't baseball boring? Why isn't baseball boring? Yeah, see, that's another common thread. You have to make sure that you get the uh, NT at the end of this because it's uh, 
it's it's an uh, on the record off the record conversation sometimes but it is even i remember um guy the yankees anthony volpe answered this question and i thought it was so great where he's, he said something to the effect i'm paraphrasing but he said i don't know because i don't associate with people who think that way <laughs> i'm like that's good man see when you ask me something like this my mind immediately races back to being a kid, having a brother who was two years older than me, who loved baseball, and my love for baseball started when I'm four or five years old. So I have friends who did not have that indoctrination, who maybe didn't grow up in the U.S., who grew up in Europe, and who have asked me to explain what is my fixation or what is my affinity for baseball and Rob, I've never in my life associated the word boring with baseball. For me, it's it's romantic, it's charming, it's exciting. Have I covered some boring games? Yes. Have I have I covered some boring teams? Yes. But when that game starts, and I'm sure you feel the same way, when that game starts, man, I am so excited for what am I going to see next? What is going to happen today that maybe I didn't see yesterday? Yankees just finished a, a four-game series against Toronto where there was some spiciness between the Blue Jays and the Yankees because Judge was peeking towards the first base coach and the Jays were mad that he was perhaps stealing location or pitches. And, Rob, every day I got to the studio, I was thinking, what's going to happen next? And we always look forward to watching Judge's at-bats because of who he is, but I, I would never equate the word boring with baseball. I think if you... If you allow yourself in and if you embrace baseball and if you watch it the way that you and I watch it, and not everybody's going to do that, but if you really study it and scrutinize it and watch the cat and mouse game between the the batter and the pitcher and what is the manager going to do next, look at the athleticism that's on the field, you're never in a million years going to think it's boring. That's a top five answer, Jack. I'm not going to lie to you. Eduardo, <laughs> Perez, gave pretty, Eduardo Perez gave a pretty good one that I'm putting on a, uh, a plaque in the Hall of Fame, but uh, that's not far off. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate all right. it. Well, congratulations with the book, sincerely. It's uh, it's an unbelievable read. It's an unbelievable topic. Um, and it's just, it, it, you know, it just happens to be the anniversary, but this could have happened anytime. It's just, you, you do such a great job with it. And, and I'm so glad you did it. And, uh, I, I hope that you're enjoying the whole process. Rob, I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. And I do remember several months back, you and I were uh, talking. And I know your Joe Kelly book was on the horizon and my book was on the horizon. And as I said at the at the outset of this interview, not everybody who sits in the press box with you and I can can understand this feeling. And the adrenaline rush, the excitement, the bouts of frustration – Maybe a little writer's block here and there. So when that day comes, it's pretty exciting. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk about it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 